Welcome to the American Med Spa Podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch was joined by Jeff Siegel of eMerit. All right, so we are on the air. This is Alex Tiersch. This is Medical Spa Insider, the podcast of the American Med Spa Association. And today, we have the great pleasure on the AmSpa Hotline to have my main man, Jeff the Hammer Siegel. Jeff, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thanks so much for introducing me as the Hammer. That's right. You are the one and the only Hammer. Um, but um, it's 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 great to have you on. We you actually were um, on a podcast uh, that, that's that's already aired because um, you are a, a lawyer and you were chiming in with the good folks at Bertadato when we were at VCS. And um, I want to talk specifically about. Um, your company, eMerit, and some of the things that you're doing with respect to reputation management, because um, just as a way of background, you are the rare combination of neurosurgeon and lawyer and entrepreneur, um, which is mind-boggling for me to even think about. But regardless, you have started a company, um, a successful company called eMerit, and you've kind of taken head-on um, this problem that everybody in the med spa and, and aesthetic industry deals with, which is negative patient reviews or online reputation management. Like, how do you manage your reputation online, which is obviously so important given that, what is it, 60 to 80% of all people look online before they treat for basically anything, and that's even more, more so true in aesthetics. Um, but the first question I have for you, because um, this is the question everyone is going to want to know after I gave that introduction is, how in the hell did you manage to go from being a neurosurgeon to a lawyer to an entrepreneur? Like, what's the secret sauce there? All right. So um, <laughs> I think it, um, it basically underlies the proposition that I've got a severe and intractable case of attention deficit disorder. <laughs> but there's actually a, um, an, an easier answer. I was perfectly delighted practicing as a neurosurgeon, and I did that for a decade and had planned on doing that uh, forever. Um, I, my son at... Um, approximately 20 plus years ago, was diagnosed with a a fairly challenging medical condition. He's a lot better now. But uh, we decided, uh, my wife and I decided I was going to take a year off. And in doing so, focus on my son and then come back to doing what I knew how to do, which was practicing neurosurgery. Mm -hmm. In that window of time, I became convinced that a certain uh, pharmaceutical compound might help him, and was sitting on a shelf gathering cobwebs at University of North Carolina, where we had moved. Uh, We moved to North Carolina. So I asked what it would take to move this process along. And I said, well, you'd have to license the compounds and raise money. So I did both, and we, we started a biotechnology company in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and moved these compounds along, uh, quite a ways from preclinical to phase two of FDA trial, which for people who don't understand the FDA process, that's actually um, pretty far. Uh, We ultimately sold the company to a medical device company, 
And by then, it had been quite a while since I had practiced neurosurgery. And although I was arrogant enough to believe I could just walk back in, into the operating suite and carry on as if there had not been a gap in time, I didn't think I'd be able to persuade a single patient that I was competent to do that. <laughs> so um, I continued all, along the entrepreneurial path, and I've engaged in several ventures that are in healthcare, and that is the story of how I moved from um, from being a neurosurgeon uh, into other domains in the healthcare. So that space. was so so it, it was literally your desire to shepherd this this pharmaceutical to reality for your son's benefit that that caused you not only to move and leave your medical career for a year, but also to start a like a biotech company. Yeah, what's interesting is that at the time, it didn't even seem like much of a choice. It seemed like a natural next step. And I've been, so I'm around a lot of neurosurgeons. Uh, I've been around them over time. And it seemed, that type of behavior seems like a neurosurgical thing to do, where we've been, we've been told about neurosurgeons, we're occasionally right, but never in doubt. So we just kind of marched right along, or I marched right along, and was highly motivated, obviously, for very personal reasons. And um, you know, we're able to we're able to marshal uh, resources and talent to um, I think to be reasonably successful with this. Yeah, that's an incredible that's an incredible story. So you still haven't answered though from one one lawyer to another why in the hell you decided to go to law school and pursue that side of things? Because my goodness, of all that you'd been through already, to add that on must have been um, must have been a big decision. Well, what's interesting is that. Um, as I planned to get back into the entrepreneurial world, which would be my second career, I founded an organization called Medical Justice. What is medical justice? It's an entity which is focused on keeping doctors from being sued for frivolous reasons. Mm-hmm. And what we do is we hold proponents of frivolous lawsuits accountable. Um, your professional liability carrier provides a defense. Medical justice provides an offense. Offense. Mm-hmm. We provide the funds and resources to um, to do counterclaims. So if some someone comes after you inappropriately, we go after them. In mm-hmm. a sense, we sue the lawyers who inappropriately sue the doctor. Mm-hmm. So why why would I even be interested in that? Well, I had been sued one time for what I perceived to be a frivolous reason. The single expert who had testified against me had actually been expelled from our professional society precisely for delivering frivolous testimony. Um, yet there he was on the circuit going to um, both <laughs> coast and up and down, uh, making a very handsome living testifying against mm-hmm. other neurosurgeons. Now, he was good at it, meaning that um, although he'd never seen or done the case at hand, he was an effective communicator with the jury, which is why people kept using him over and over again. Um, in any event, the case was dismissed two weeks before trial, but I never felt as if I won anything. I only felt as if I lost less, mm-hmm. and I thought there's got to be a better way, and that better way was medical justice, which is a legal type of solution, and um, while we launched without me being a lawyer, we coordinated with other lawyers, including Mike the Other Hammer Sakopoulos. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we, there are a lot of hammers in our family. Yes, there are. And um, and then over time, I thought it would be helpful to better understand on a deep level gotcha. uh, the law. And so I ended up going to law school. 
Um, that's amazing, seriously, um, because knowing how hard law school is, and I'm a, I'm, I can only assume that becoming a neurosurgeon is likely twice as hard as that. Um, you spent a lot of time in school, and that's amazing. I, I want to get into, in, in, in medical, first of all, but just for, so our viewers can check it out, Medical Justice, is, it's an interesting company. Where can they find out more information on that? Because we're, we're, we're going to focus on eMerit, um, and we can maybe circle back to Medical Justice at a later time, because I think it's an interesting company as well. But what, what's the website for that, or what's the best way to find information on Medical Justice? Web, exactly. So the website simply is medicaljustice.com. That's one word medicaljustice.com. Okay. Um, and um, e-merit, though, is something that I, I found fascinating when I learned about it. And I, it's been interesting for me to learn even more about how you got into the space and, and, and what this all means as far as dealing with this issue of negative reviews and, 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 and reputation management. But how did you, um, given all that, um, all of your, your your past, how did you get into kind of the online reputation management side of things? Like, wh- how did that develop um, as a passion of yours? And, and, and so what's the story behind, behind eMerit? So eMerit developed out of medical justice. We have worked with thousands of physician clients over the years, and one of our clients was being sued. He was a facial plastic uh, surgeon, and um, he was he was handling that so he under he knew who we were uh, from the vantage point of being sued for what he mm-hmm. perceived to be a non-meritorious reason but in parallel he was also getting slammed on the internet in fact there was um, well the woman in this particular case had started a website i believe it was called mysurgerynightmare.com this is before the review sites really took off there probably and i think there were review sites uh, looking at doctors or soliciting comments for doc- from doctors, but not to the degree that they exist today. So um, this patient um, was causing a fair amount of reputational damage to the doctor, um, to the mm-hmm. point that he ended up suing her for defamation. This case went up to an appellate court, and they ruled against the doctor. They ruled ruled for the patient. The argument being that this doctor was a public figure, and so the standard, the threshold for the doctor prevailing was higher than you know John Doe or, or any person in the public prevailing. So that was a, a real loss for him. And, and essentially, this doctor was asking what could be done it was an unfamiliar space how one person could leverage the power of the internet to cause damage to a practice. So that was, that was where we first became interested in the online space. And I initially thought that what was unfortunate, and I've since changed my tune on this, what was unfortunate was that I did not think the internet was properly describing those aspects of a practice that a prospective patient would value the most. So if I were uh, seeking help from a doctor, I'd want to know in order um, what their track record was for safety, number two, outcomes, and number three, everything else. So everything else would be bedside manner, communication, Mm -hmm. parking, money, etc. But to me, it's more important to make sure the doctor didn't kill me, so that's Mm -hmm. patient safety. And that number two, make me better, which would be clinical outcomes. Those those are the two nuggets 
that I would want to know before everything else because it doesn't really matter if the doctor is nice and communicates well if I'm dead. I think we can agree, <laughs> agree with that. So um, I ended up doing a study expecting to demonstrate that online reviews were not only uninformative, but they were misinformative, that they would give wrong information to the point that if people acted on it, they could be worse off. Mm-hmm. So I got a list of the best and worst surgeons related to safety and outcomes from a large insurance company. And I was blinded as to which surgeons were in which bucket. Then I had some interns go to the internet and just see what people were saying, what patients were saying about these particular doctors. When we unblinded the study, it turned out that my hypothesis was completely wrong, meaning that (laughs) Patients were pretty good at being able to identify who the best doctors were and who the worst doctors were for safety and outcome, uh, meaning that they were a, those with the best online reputations actually had the best track records and oh. vice versa. Those with the worst online reputations had That's the That's a vote worst, of confidence uh, for records. the public. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And, um, you know, it's interesting. People have said that uh, crowdsourcing is a way to really nailed down an answer. Now, it's not perfect. Certainly, there were outliers, but this was statistically significant, and there was a strong correlation. So that was the beginning of Emerit. I said, if that's true, I had two choices. One would be to ignore it and bury it and still maintain the proposition that online reviews were valueless. Or I could say, there's something there. Why not make it easy to capture feedback, capture reviews, and get them uploaded to the dominant review sites typically found on page one of, of a Google search. And, and if you can do that and make it easy, those two angry people with a megaphone may still be there, but they'll be drowned out by the larger voice of those who, um, who like or indeed love mm-hmm. the type of care being provided. So that was yeah. the beginning of Emerit. We made I, it easy to capture feedback and get it uploaded. I, I, I want to unpack that a little bit because that's, I mean, what's, there's there's two things that jumped out at me. Number one, when when you started this, I mean, this was ten years ago, right? Something like that. It's about ten years ago okay. that we launched Emerit. So it was exactly. about ten years ago. Back then, even the landscape was totally different than it is right now, as far as um, social media, online reviews. I mean, it was it was coming up for sure, but it was nothing like it is right now. You could still get trashed online, obviously, and there could still be significant. Um, problems, but the 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 difference that even a decade makes as far as what kind of damage can be done is is tremendous. What's the difference? I mean, what do you see? Because you've been studying this this aspect of aesthetics for for a long time. What's the primary difference between today and and patient interaction online with with doctors and reviews versus what it was when you first started? So a decade ago, um, the online review space was in its infancy. Most people found their provider, be it a doctor or anyone else, the old-fashioned way, through friends and family or a referral from another professional. That's where the bulk of activity was occurring. Today, for busy practices, the bulk of their activity comes from the online world. Um, Now, you can still, I mean, Let's not shortchange what friends and family and referring professionals can do. They still can make or break uh, a practice. But by and large, by having a strong online presence, 
in, in a sense, you can immunize yourself from a lot of the problems in the world. You become um, portable. So if you decide, I'm tired of living in Chicago, I want to move to uh, Texas, you take your reputation with you because if so many people are finding you mm-hmm. online, they will continue to find you online. Instead of having to start over, you're able to just make a, uh, a lateral move. So the, there, there are two things that I would say about the online space. The online, so now the world is your, um, is your market, but the world is also your competitor. Mm-hmm. So it cuts both ways. It's both a shield and a sword. Uh, it can make your practice, lots of positive reviews, certainly um, become a seed for other people to find you. And negative reviews can also be a deterrent to people actually uh, coming to see you. So it ne- whereas a decade ago it needed some attention, today it needs complete and total attention. And you know what's, what's, what's so interesting is that um, you, you, you mentioned that you know, still the best review is, is a referral from a patient, right? Which I, which I still believe. Um, however, even if I get a, a referral from somebody who is, that I trust very much, whether it's a good friend, a family member, the, whether I want to or not, the first place I'm going to go is online to at least find out where they are and directions, and I'm going to be exposed to those reviews anyway, even if I am getting a review or, or, or a referral from somebody who's, who, who I trust. So it's like almost, it's, it's almost, even though the you know, word of mouth referral is still so important, if you don't have that online reputation, even that can be tarnished because at some point they're going to find out anyway. Um, and, and, and the question I have from that, have you found, um, given that you've been doing this for 10 years, have you found any resistance from whether it's a certain segment of plastic surgeons or a certain segment of medicine where they've been kind of resisting this idea, well, that, that, we, that you have to spend a lot of time managing your reputation online and it should all be patient referrals anyway? Have you seen that at all? Well, here's what's interesting. We actually measure how many people are going online to find the doctor. So we ask a question, if you're a new patient, how did you find the practice? And the answer would be friend or family, referring professional, internet, etc. And so we have found that over the years, the number coming straight and directly from the internet has been going up and up every year. But if the answer is friend or family or another professional, for example, we ask a follow-up question, did you still go to the internet to look up the doctor? And even there, that number is going up and up. So Mm -hmm. to your point, um, even if you do get the referral from a trusted individual, a practice or a friend or family member, people are still going to the internet. So if you ignore the internet, you do so at your peril. But to, to your question, do we find that there are people that just don't like the idea and resist it? And the answer is yes and no. Certainly with the younger demographic, they grew up as digital natives and they get it. They don't think twice, they just say that this is an important part of uh, their practice. It's the quickest way to get out of the gate and look like a seasoned, experienced individual by tapping into the collective voice uh, of their patients. But even among others who um, were extremely successful in the old world, they've because they're so competitive and see that their competitors are doing uh, doing it, reluctantly they'll jump on mm-hmm. board and realize that if, if they don't play ball, they're going to get left behind and they'll ultimately see it 
in their financial bottom line. So most people are along for the ride. Some some came uh, kicking and screaming. And like anything else, you have uh, early adopters, you have fast followers, then you have the Luddites who take a long time, mm-hmm. and then you have those people who just said, I can't understand the new world, I'm just going to retire. <laughs> well, you know, this, this, this kind of harkens back to a... Um, when I first started as a lawyer in this industry, one of the big issues that was happening because social media was coming up and online reviews were coming on, it was still not there. And, uh, you know, the, there was kind of a battle between this old guard plastic surgeon and the, the new younger surgeon. And, and one of the examples that Stephen Diane, who's a, a friend of mine, would always give is that, you know, you can be a well-respected older surgeon with 20 years of experience, you know, an impeccable record, flawless reputation, but you could be beat out by a younger surgeon who comes up and develops a strong social media presence and, and gets great patient testimonials and reviews because that's what's going to happen nowadays. And it's, it's, it's become difficult for some of these older surgeons to adapt because they just don't understand this, this, this new patient is, you know, they are tethered to the online world 24 hours a day. And um, I, I, where I'm going with this is, is I want to get into kind of um, what we, what you do with Emerit and just what um, like a med spa owner, one of our listeners should be considering when um, a bad review, a negative review comes because as you know, and you've told me this personally several times, if you, if you're in practice long enough, you will get a bad review. It's, it's, it's not a, a, an issue of if it's when, um, and what are some of the big mistakes that you see, um, doctors or med spa owners make when they get a bad review? Like what's the one thing that, that when you're talking to someone who, uh, about whether they're going to sign up for your merit, you know, like what's the one thing that you shake your head and go, oh man, I wish you hadn't done that. All right. So let me start, uh, let me start um, a little bit earlier and just say, how can you head off a real problem with the past? And we'll talk about what you should not do. Okay. The, bec- and, and I'm going to agree with your point. You will get an inevitable negative review. It happens to everyone. The Ritz-Carlton gets negative reviews. People that deliver great service get negative reviews. It's the same as if you're a surgeon, you will eventually get a complication. The only surgeons who don't get complications are those who either never looked or are liars or have never operated. And, And so because you know it's going to happen, you want to try and prepare for it. How do you prepare for the inevitable negative review? If you are either doing a great job or willing to improve, you want to tap into the voice of your patients um, so that they have already posted their reviews. The solution to pollution is dilution. Is dilution. So the, the, the solution to pollution is dilution. So the more of a positive voice that is out there when you get the inevitable negative review, it will not sting as much. Uh, in fact, I would argue that having an occasional negative review is a good thing. It's healthy. It makes every other review that's positive look credible, looks authentic. So in one sense, instead of getting angry, you should send that person a thank you note. <laughs> nobody uh, does course, that, though. <laughs> n- no, nobody's going to do that, of course. Um, so, what are, so you want to make sure that you have already put some effort into capturing most you know, positive, f- real feedback, but if you're doing a great job, most of it is going to be positive. And with Emerit, we make it easy to capture feedback at the point of service to get uploaded automatically. Now, getting to your question, what are the things that we wish patients uh, or doctors would not do or providers would not do? 
I think the first thing is to just take it, do not take it personally, do not sweat it. Everybody gets it. it there, there are no practices that are, that are immune to getting a negative review. The initial impulse is to lash out, either online to get the right story out, you know, which means explaining what a jerk and idiot this patient was, how non-compliant they were, and when, when a practice does that, there's a strong chance you're going to <laughs> violate HIPAA. So you've right. taken a minor problem and turned it into a major problem. There are ways to respond in a HIPAA-compliant way, and we spent some time chatting about this at, uh, with a podcast at the VCS meeting. Yep. Um, but just going out there and spitting out the medical record and or photos to win the debate is one of the stupidest things that a practice can do. Um, the other thing that people will sometimes do, they say, I'm mad, I'm angry, I'm going to sue this particular patient. And I'll say a couple things about that. One is that the only reason to do that, to sue a patient for a negative review, now there are times to do it, but most of the time I would counsel against it, is if you've got a giant collection of cash burning a hole in your pocket and you've got nothing else to do for the next four years and you're looking for a way to turn that into a page, turn that innocuous story into a page one Google search, a dog bites or man bites dog stories, um, if that's what you want to do, then sure, go ahead and sue the patient. There's a great analogy to this. It's called the, the Streisand effect after Barbara Streisand, the uh, actor yep. and the singer. So apparently she owns beachfront property, I believe in Malibu in California, and someone was commissioned, I believe by the state, to come up with a website many years ago showing aerial views of beachfront property. Mm-hmm. Aerial views of beachfront property. Now that's a really compelling website. I'm, you know, I just want to stop what I'm doing right now and and just go searching through that website, you know, to kill some time. <laughs> yeah. um, so to make a long story short, Barbara Streisand home was on there with an aerial view, and Streisand found out about it and says, "Sue the bastards." Right. So, um, but by the way, at this time, less than ten people had actually viewed the website. Right. Um, the majority of which were Strivand and her attorneys. So um, they ended up suing um, the webmaster who ultimately prevailed. But by the time all was said and done, because Strivand, through her own actions, had drawn so much attention to this website, hundreds of thousands of people um, had actually downloaded an aerial view of her house. Yep. So it's actually called the Streisand Effect. You can go onto the Wikipedia page, look under Streisand Effect, and I think what it means is the unintended consequence of drawing attention to something that you were trying to bury, known it's, as the Streisand it's Effect. such a good point, and we've, you know, th- it's been a point of discussion um, at some of the surgery conferences. It's It's if someone says something untrue and negative about you and you sue, you are now blasting that out over an an even larger area and causing that statement, which might otherwise have just gone away to be, you know, magnified times a thousand. And I don't think people really think about that because they're so angry and, you know, it's easier said than done. 
to say, well, don't take it personally, right? I mean, I, that's what I tell people too. Um, that's not so easy when you're talking about somebody's appearance, you're talking about your reputation, right. you're talking about your livelihood, you know, your art. Um, like, how do people? Are, how do people not? take it personally. And, and, and really, I think the only way is just to look at the stats and say, you're going to get sued. It's not your fault. This is just what happens. What do you think? Uh, yeah. So, right. So here's the take home point. We be, if you are already in the process of capturing feedback in general, and Emerit is one of many platforms that can do it. We think we do it better than anyone else. But if you're in the process of capturing this feedback, you're already getting what I would consider to be a bucket of thank you notes every day. So you're already getting these feedback signals from your patients that you're doing a good job. And to the extent you're not doing a perfect job, you're at least learning where to intervene sooner rather than later to aim towards excellence and make these people who may not be completely satisfied more satisfied. So by and large, by getting all these signals in the background, um, you're more prepared, I think, emotionally and viscerally mm-hmm. to handle this inevitable negative review. And then the next step is, well, what can you do about it? The public wants to see not only that, um, you know, that someone took a swipe at you, they want to know what you're going to do about it. And if you take the high ground, if you take the high ground, you can actually turn a negative into a positive. Let me give an example. Um, we were working with an orthopedic surgeon out in California, and he was supposed to do a second opinion for a, um, a teenager playing soccer, and um, she had a knee problem. She'd already gone to another orthopedic surgeon, so this was a second opinion, and the first orthopedic surgeon said, we're gonna do surgery to get her back on the soccer field, and the second orthopod, who was our client, I think was in a hurry, he was rushed, and didn't really appreciate his role. So he was trying to treat this patient conservatively. I don't think he understood that this was a second opinion, and said, look, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get you a brace. Um, Your insurance may not pay for it, so you may anticipate a bill. Um, And then I'll see her back in about six weeks, and hopefully she will have improved. Now, who doesn't like conservative therapy? Mm -hmm. I mean, most people you know, want to avoid the knife if possible. Um, But in this particular case, I don't think he was paying attention. So she ended up um, getting a bill from the office because the, um, because insurance did not pay for it, just like he predicted, and then slammed him on Yelp. So he said, well, what should I do? I said, look, reach out to the patient, see if you can solve her problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, it's one of those things you were busy, you didn't quite pick up on this. You, you definitely have all the facts now. I said, here's what I would do. Just reach out to her, say, we got it wrong. Um, I didn't quite understand precisely what we'd be doing. And by the way, I'm delighted that your daughter's doing well. Number two, I'm sorry for what happened, so an apology. Mm-hmm. And number three, just to show you that we walk the walk and don't just talk the talk, I'm giving you your money back uh, for the brace. Um, you obviously didn't need it. I'm sorry you had to pay for it. Uh, and by the way, um, I'd appreciate it if you would just update or modify your review on Yelp. Now, these were the magic words. It's a request, not a demand. It's a request, not a demand. Mm -hmm. Now, by the way, you need to know that this doctor was consumed by this negative review. It just occupied his 
occupied his brain. It's almost like a chihuahua on your leg that you can't shake off. Yep, <laughs> so, yep. so anyway, um, she didn't take the review down, but here's what she wrote. Um, she goes, I've changed my review from a one to, doc, uh, to a number five. Dr. I'll just say Dr. John Doe rocks. So he took a one star, turned it to a five star, and he looked like a superstar because it looked like he listened and solved the yeah. person's problem. And all it I mean, takes is a, is a phone call, right? It just takes a a, a putting aside the the you know the bitterness and the anger that you're going to invariably get from getting a bad review and saying, "All right, I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to call somebody and figure out what the problem is." And even if you have to say, "I'm sorry," then you say, "I'm sorry." And most like people, I feel like the natural tendency is to get defensive, to get your guard up, to start blaming, to start lashing out. And it's but if you can just do that, what that doctor did, there's so many. There's just you can get so far with these things. I think, and it's the kind of become a lost work. art, you know. The magical words, I'm sorry. I wish I had learned it in the first 10 years of, of my marriage. <laughs> it would have saved me a lot of, a lot of headaches uh, had, I, had I picked up on that in the early days as opposed to beyond that. Once I picked up on it, my life became a lot easier. How can you help your patients accept your full treatment recommendations instead of partial or none? Care Credit, a part of Synchrony Bank, has been helping patients access care for nearly 30 years. Care Credit's health, wellness, and beauty credit card offers everyday promotional financing options to help your guests fit the treatments and procedures they want into their monthly budget. Guests can use their Care Credit card for injectables, cool sculpting, laser treatments, spa services, skincare products, surgery, and more. We help your guests achieve the look they want while helping give your business a boost. There is no cost to enroll and start accepting the Care Credit credit card. Call 800 300 3046 or visit carecredit.com slash amspa. That's 800 300 3046 or visit carecredit.com slash amspa to enroll today or learn more. Mention you're an amspa member and receive special rates. Looking to open or improve your medical aesthetic practice or medical spa? Look no further than AmSpa's Medical Spa and Aesthetic Boot Camps, which are intense two-day training seminars covering legal and biz best practices in the medical spa industry. Both physicians and non-physicians alike will gain the tools to open and or run an efficient, profitable, and legally compliant medical spa or aesthetic practice. AmSpa is hosting three more boot camps in 2019 in Dallas, New York, and Orlando. Next up, join AmSpa's Boot Camp at the Doubletree Campbell Center in Dallas, Texas on September 14th and 15th. To save $50 on registration for boot camps, use the promo code POD50 at checkout. For more information or to register, log on to www.americanmedspa.org or call 312-981-0993. One thing I want to I, I, I get to a little bit deeper on is, because this is what one of the things that eMerit does, which I, I find really, really cool, is um, obviously getting the positive reviews from everybody is, uh, to me, and from what I've read and heard from others, the most important thing. Because again, the more positive reviews you get, if you get one negative review, it's, it's, it kind of gets washed out. What are some things that people can do um, 
just in general? And what are some of the things that eMerit does to help get those reviews captured right away and to put on on the right place? It's, it's not, you know, I, we have this problem too. It's it's one thing to to ask for a review. It's another thing to get them to actually do it and put it in the right spot. So we call this the hierarchy of um, how much effort it takes to put into the process and the outcomes, what you get out of it. So the easiest, well, or the, the one that requires the least amount of effort is just ask your patient. Now, some would argue with me and say that, that well, it actually requires a lot of effort because it's not something I'm used to doing. But just a verbal request is something that can be done right now by everybody listening to this. Just ask your patient. Mm -hmm. uh, next up the hierarchy is to provide a printed card with several, or one of several different review sites of the uh, review site's URL for the doctor. So the patient can go home, get onto their browser, and type that in and go to the page for the doctor. And, and do you have Next, any data you do, do you have any data on how often that actually works? I mean, do you know off the top of your head? Yeah, it's it's single digits. Right. It's single digits, meaning that um, it's a lot of um, a lot of squeeze to try and get out minimal amount of juice. Right. So right. that's why pe people get demoralized. They say I've done this, I've tried I've tried it. It just seems like so much effort and it doesn't seem to do anything. Right. Uh, next then you start using technology, which would be emailing or texting a link. So all they have to do is click on the link and then ultimately make something happen. And and that um, probably but, increases a, a little bit, but I'm, it's not going to solve the total problem. I mean, what, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's still mostly in single digits or low double digits because think about it, everybody uh, today, as we're listening to this, everybody's going to get, hey, fee your feedback's important to us. Yeah, please tell us how we did. And most people are going to do what we do, which is just ignore it. Why? We're busy, and because we're inundated. I don't feel like um, you know clicking on a link from uh, you know from an ice cream store that I just got a cone saying that I thought their ice cream was the greatest on the universe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Health healthcare is a little bit more intimate. And you're more likely to get a reaction or response, but because the landscape is so noisy, you're unlikely to make uh, to have success. So the the top of the hierarchy is what we call point of service. It's where we stick an iPad in the practice at the point of service. So either in the waiting room or the exam room or on the way out, every every practice is different. There are a thousand ways to skin this cat. You're just asking for honest feedback. And actually, it, it's important to use these words. We would really appreciate your feedback, really appreciate your feedback, as opposed to saying, will you give us a testimonial on the internet? And why is that videos. true? What's the Yeah, you know, it's reason. weird because, um, I think when you're um, when you ask someone for a testimonial, um, broadly, it's presumptive. You're 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 presuming that the outcome was perfect and the patient's perfectly delighted. Now there are times that that makes sense when you know that that's the case, but if you're broadly querying um, many people, you don't know that for a fact. And if you are giving the impression hey, we're just trying to get your feedback, and with your permission, it can get uploaded to the internet. It demonstrates that the patient is always in the driver's seat. And gotcha. in doing so, no surprises. So, so you have the, and, and, and that actually makes sense to me, um, the, you have the technology in the office. Um, what does that do, and, and, and how do you, 
it's one thing again to have the the iPad there. It's another thing to get them to sit down and actually do it. So, what's the kind of the the, the catch or the trick there? So the iPad is part of our platform. So our platform is a generic survey which asks a number of questions. It's not just, you know, tell us how we did. It's, yeah, we need to know how many stars you rate the provider with. And we're also looking for text narrative, tell us your story, if you will. Mm -hmm. And then a number of other questions, just trying to get as much information as is as is uh, reasonable. Um, so... Um, and this is you know, all I'm done thinking, automatically, like so. Emerit, you 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 take this information and automatically gets gets put up to the proper place. Uh, yes. So that's the thing. It's a generic survey, and then and, and anonymity is one of the um, thing, one of the settings that a patient can choose. And in the aesthetic space, it's actually quite common. Uh, some people aren't jumping up and down about using their. Um, using their name, mm -hmm. and so we can help provide an alias. But everything else is automated. They don't need to set up accounts or anything else to get reviews uploaded uh, online. And in doing so, you're capturing a great deal of information from the patient to both learn where the patient came from, what's important to them, what things you did right, what things you didn't do right, and you've made it really easy for them. Um, the impediment in the past has been you've asked a lot of a patient. You'll shoot them an email link. They may have to set up an account. Um, they, they don't have the time because once, once they've left the practice, they're not even thinking about you. So you capture their feedback while they're still there, while they're in the, while they're in the office. And, um, and in doing so, we you get about 95% uptake compared to you know, it's mostly single digits for other platforms. And is there, are, are there kind of tricks to, um, I, I know you said, you know, you want your feedback, but like, do, do you, is there some training of, of, of the team and your staff where you have to say, look, you're not just going to shove an iPad in their face and say, give me your feedback. I mean, there's, there's gotta be some technique and some nuance to it to get them to respond as opposed to just having them sit and, and, and giving them a, a, an iPad to fill out. Right. This is one of the things that we, we do provide, which is quick training. You're absolutely right. You know, if we just threw them technology without the training, it would probably, probably be less successful. So we've got both a video of what to do as well as a video of what not to do, language that can and should be used to, to drive this point home. And I think the proof of the pudding is in the eating. You know, once... In the time that we've had this podcast, we would have onboarded a practice and they would have been capturing their first review. And they can identify and see that, you know, greater than 90% of the people they ask are going to say, yes, sit down, make this happen. And before you know it, they've already populated the online space with, with the words and feedback of so many of their patients. So what are the things, if you can share, I'm curious, what are the things not to do when you're asking? Or like what's a, just a sample of, of what you shouldn't do when you're asking somebody for a review with the iPad? So one of the things that's interesting is first kind of know who your patient is. If they have smoke coming out of their ear, um, <laughs> that would probably not be the right time to ask a patient for a review. <laughs> I would say solve their problem first, and then you know that may be an opportunity for service recovery and see if they see if they'll do it. I think the key thing um, that we well one of the things that we see is that people are skittish about asking too many people. They only want people mm -hmm. that are 
slapping them with high fives and hugging them and everything else. And if you do that, you're missing so many other people who are satisfied. So I would argue, try and, try and you know, broaden your horizons, ask more people uh, to use the iPad because you'll be pleasantly surprised. First, the internet will, or the online space will demonstrate that. Number two, it's quite, um, um, it's, it builds morale among your staff because once they see all this positive feedback coming in, everybody starts to even up their game even more and it's a virtuous cycle. It just feels good. It's like so, getting thank you notes every day. Yeah, so what, what happens if, I mean, I'm thinking of like a horror story. You give somebody a review, an iPad, you think it's going to be great and they, and they leave you a bad review. Are you able to prevent that from going online or is that not even something you should do in light of the fact that you know the more reviews generally kind of wash out the uh, more good reviews wash out the bad reviews yeah so early on we had to make the strategic decision which was hey um you know do we just filter reviews so that only the good reviews go up and we made the decision no if you're a high-performing practice or willing to improve Ultimately, you're going to look good anyway, and we've been able to demonstrate that over and over again, that the vast majority of, of your patients will give you positive reviews if you're a high-performing practice. Uh, number two is that a negative review is an opportunity to improve, and since everybody gets them and we can help you post a response as to how to manage a negative review or solve a problem, it actually can turn a negative situation into a positive because the public will then see how you handle anxiety. And number three, there's a regulatory issue to this, and we anticipated this years ago, and now it's only starting to, to come to fruition now. So there's something called review gating. Review gating um, is a means of filtering reviews, so you're capturing feedback from everyone, but you only let the good stuff go through. Right. Only the good stuff goes through the gate. And so two things have happened. One is that Google stated in its terms of use, or at least guidelines for reviews, that they're frowning upon review gating. That if you're using a platform that does that, um, they're going to, I guess, penalize you. Mm-hmm. So. How they do that, it's hard to say, but I do, reckon, I do know that you would be getting on Google's bad side uh, to doing that. Number two, and I think much more importantly, is that because the healthcare space is regulated, and one of the things that is regulated is marketing and advertising, the boards of medicine and all the other regulatory boards believe that if you engage in false or deceptive advertising, uh, you may put your license at risk. And... What we have seen is that um, at least one attorney general in New York stated that review gating um, is actionable. And there was a healthcare entity where they fined the organization, I believe it was six figures. Um, they did things other than review gating, but review gating was one of the things that they did. So just putting up the good stuff mm-hmm. arguably is false and deceptive, um, unless, of course, you you know, make sure that everybody knows that you're only letting the good stuff go through. Now, we actually had a, an interesting question the other day. Um, is it, and I've actually gotten this a few times, um, is it, and, I, and I'm going to put you on the spot, I, I don't know if you know the answer to this question. If not, I will find out um, and get it to our listeners. But is it, are, are you allowed to 
incentivize not not good reviews, but just incentivize reviews. Period. Like whether it's through a discount, whether it's through um, something of value. You know, we obviously with with anti kickback and self referral rules, you can't you can't incentivize somebody to treat at your practice, so you can't pay them for a referral. But is there anything wrong with saying if you leave a review and we're not or give us feedback and we're not going to control whether it's good or bad or indifferent, we can give you something of value, whether it's VIP points, whatever. Did, did you know the answer to that by any chance? Yeah, I do. So first I would argue you, you typically don't have to do that. If you're using something like an e-merit platform mm-hmm. at the point of service, because almost everybody says yes, you don't have to sweeten it anymore. Almost everybody will say yes and just do it. So there's no reason to give up the shop by asking for reviews or feedback. But number two is that there are um, regulations, right. in particular the Federal Trade Commission states that if you are giving any type of consideration for an online review, and consider, consideration is either, it could be money, it could be free services like a free procedure, uh, it could be um, um, discounts, right. anything. Anything that has value could perceive, uh, be perceived to have value. You cannot do that unless you um, unless it's um, publicized, meaning that unless the public knows that the reviewer receives something of value. So here's what it would look like. Um, it would say, Dr. Siegel um, did a great surgery on me. I'm back um, to doing everything I was able to do before the surgery. Parentheses, um, by the way, Dr. Siegel gave me a $25 Amazon gift card for this review. So that would be compliant with the Federal Trade Commission, but that little statement, to be compliant with the FTC, um, devalues that review yeah, entirely. Completely. completely <laughs> so yeah. I would say that you know, to be compliant, it's hard to do, and that's why I would tell people not to do it. And the second point is you don't have to do it to achieve the intended effect. Um, no, that's, that's, that's what I suspected. Um, so I'm glad to hear that. The, um, and, and unfortunately a lot, a lot of people are doing that. And again, I, I've not seen too many FTC violations come down against people for that, but it's something that's out there and, and, and you certainly don't want to be the one that gets caught. Um, what I want to kind of end with, because we're we're pushing up um, on time here, is is let's get into um, what what are the best steps, assuming they don't have emerit. And obviously, the first thing they should do is go to emerit and 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 and, and get on board. But aside from that, what like what should somebody do? Like, what are the positive steps that they take? To, to deal with a negative review that, that is posted? Um, and, and, and more specifically, what does eMerit do to help with that problem? So if you've got a negative review that's fresh and you know who the patient is, try reaching out to the patient right. if you believe there's a possible way to solve their problem. If there is and you've taken the first step to getting it addressed, you may even, be, even either get it updated or removed. So that's number one. Number two would be um, if you really don't know who it is and it looks like it may be a violation of the terms of use of the website, for example, um, it's using um, discriminatory language um, or foul language, et cetera, you mm-hmm. may be able to 
if you're nice, just get the review site to uh, to take it down. So these are some simple things that can be done. And finally, and this is, and we do all of that. And then the other thing that can be done is to post a um, HIPAA compliant response, where you're getting your side of the story out to the world, but doing it in a way that does not violate HIPAA. And what does that so responding, look like? That's a, that's a yeah, so a yeah, let me give you an example. So let's say the um, a patient writes, you know, Siegel is a, uh, is a butcher. Um, he did a procedure, charged me uh, $15,000, and then um, wanted me to pay another $5,000 to fix the mistake he made. Um, what you could do is say, look, we're sorry any time a patient has an outcome where they're less than satisfied. Um, our, we, we wish all patients were happy with their outcome. We recognize not 100% of people are. Still, we strive for excellence. Uh, but we do stand by our patients. And to the extent a patient is dissatisfied, we will perform a revision surgery where we waive our professional fee um, within a reasonable period of time. So what have you done there by doing that? You've actually delivered a marketing message. You've been able to tell the public that, A, um, we're going to take some risk. We're going to or accept the risk so that if you're not happy, we'll go another round and you don't have to pay us a second time for doing it. Notice that I don't really get into the details related to anesthesiology, the surgery center, and, and honestly, um, most practices will eat it, but you've taken a negative and you've been able to deliver your marketing message um, and do it in a HIPAA compliant way. You've not said, Mrs. Smith, you remember that uh, we had this conversation and uh, you had had four previous surgeries and that's why I, you know, that's why it's going to cost to do a revision, etc. You're really just keeping the message simple, not getting into the dirty details of this individual's case, but you're answering the question in a broad and generic way. And so that, that there's a line that, that shouldn't be crossed with respect to patient privacy. And so it's, it's, it's your opinion. And we, again, for those of you who, who want a more detailed discussion of this, we had a really good discussion at VCS with um, three other attorneys where we were talking about this, the, this issue. And, but, but to kind of clarify for those who didn't hear that, this is kind of the, the issue with patient privacy, HIPAA, and patient reviews in that you are allowed, or at least it's your, your opinion, Jeff, that, that you are allowed to leave a neutral review that talks about things generally but does not refer to the specific patient's treatment or issue or, or where is that line if you can summarize it in a, in a sentence or two yeah so um, some people say don't ever respond mm -hmm. there are other people who say respond all the time and I think if you respond to everything you likely will run into a HIPAA problem I think that judiciously responding to negative reviews where you do not reveal individual protected health information is probably safe, and we've been doing it uh, for our clients for a number of years. So I think it can be done. I think the key is knowing how to do that dance on the line. Um, remember, an unhappy patient is likely to complain. They're the people at greatest risk for um, for doubling down and perhaps filing a complaint with the Office of Civil Rights who oversee HIPAA. So I think it's important to get that right. So you want to get close to the line, but you definitely do not want to overstep it. So in, in, um, to kind of 
wrap this up and because I'm 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 really intrigued and curious about what eMerit does. So as part of your service, so if if a, if a client was to bring you on, not only are you helping them with the process of diluting all negative reviews by capturing all all these good reviews and getting it up to the sites automatically, um, you, you your part of your service is actually helping with the response and the re, you know the outreach to the patient to try to help help mitigate the issue of the the negative review. Absolutely, this emerit is more than technology; it's humans an established and competent team who happen to be backed up by technology. So we monitor what people are saying online. Number two, we help capture reviews and get them uploaded to the dominant review sites, typically found on page one of a Google search. And then finally, we help people navigate through negative reviews, be it um, figuring out the best way to potentially connect with and communicate with a patient, Number two, work with a review site to get the review taken down if it violates the terms of use. Or number three, um, craft a HIPAA-compliant response so you can get a reasonable story out to the world without running into a regulatory headache. That's awesome. And how, is, is it actually possible to get a review down from a review site? I've heard so many horror stories about Yelp and you know all these other ones where just the I just trying to get it removed is next to impossible. But do you, have you ever had success with that? Uh, we've had plenty of success with it um, if it meets certain criteria. I mean, typically it would have to violate the terms of use, and you know, frequently it does violate the terms of use. So I, I can say that we've we've definitely been able to get reviews removed. But remember, you're dealing with humans on the other side, and so they're not going to be bullied into taking a review down because they don't have to. You have to make an effective and persuasive case. And certainly it's worth doing if it meets the criteria, but if it doesn't, then posting a HIPAA compliant response is second best. All right. That's, that's, that's awesome. Reviews are awesome. Patient testimonials are awesome, right? What, what's the, just kind of in closing, what's the, if, if you haven't already touched on it, What's the one piece of advice you would give to our listeners about patient reviews? So with patient reviews, don't be afraid. Jump in. Everybody um, is now an audience online. Everybody listening to this podcast already uses reviews. Make them work for you. If you're doing a great job or willing to improve, uh, the world is your oyster. You're only going to... um, to succeed with online reviews. The key point is make it easy. You don't want to be consumed by a process. You want something that makes it easy to capture feedback and respond to negative complaints. That's it. That's awesome. It's, it's, it's so easy. Seriously. This is all you need to do, right? This is the, it's, don't take it personally and, you know, get the positive reviews, right? That's, it's, it sounds it's like an easy button. <laughs> um, all right. E-Merit is at it's emerit.biz, correct? Biz. Okay, emerit.biz. E-M-E-R-I-T dot B-I-Z. Gotcha. And then you've got an email address too. What's your email address in case someone wants to reach out to you? So it's Siegel. that's J-S as in Sam, E-G-A-L, 
at emerit.biz. That's awesome. Um, well, it's it's a really cool product. I think um, I, I've had kind of fun poking around your website. You've also got a lot of good resources on there and a lot of good information. Um, so I encourage everyone to go check it out. And Jeff, I truly appreciate having you on. I'm sure um, you will be um, visiting with us again at some point. And um, again, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for the invitation. It was an absolute pleasure. Awesome. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks for joining us this week with the American Med Spa Podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch was joined by Jeff Siegel of eMerit. Merit.